Join me in the Old Testament book of Joel. The Old Testament book of Joel. As we begin a brand new series beginning today in this Old Testament book, I can tell you for sure I've never taught a series through the book of Joel, and I don't think I've ever heard a sermon series in the book of Joel. So this is probably a first for, it's a first for me and maybe even a first for some of you. As you're turning there, I want to ask a question. The question is this, have you ever fallen asleep in class? Okay, can we honestly, all right, how many of you have fallen asleep in class? All right, I, I remember a time when I was in college at Cedarville University, and I was in humanities class. And it was a general education class, so everyone, if you wanted to graduate, you had to take this course, Humanities. And the professor's name was Dr. Matson, and Dr. Matson was a tall man with deep voice, and he had a microphone, and he, one of the things he would do is, as he would teach is he would walk through the auditorium. So 300-plus students are in this class, and he would walk through the auditorium as he would teach and in his deep voice and all those different things. And I remember particularly a class where he kept walking, but then he, he stopped. He paused next to, next to a particular student, and this student had fallen asleep. And for those of us that were sitting there and could kind of see what was unfolding, we were curious as to how is Dr. Matson going to respond to the student who had fallen asleep in his class. Well, Dr. Matson continued to teach, and as he was teaching, he went like that on the student's chair. Well, immediately, you can imagine, the student woke up from sleeping, right? He'd been awakened from his sleep in Dr. Matson's class. So not only was there a message sent to the sleeping student, but there was a message sent to the rest of us who were sitting there watching this unfold. You don't fall asleep in Dr. Matson's class. Maybe you or someone you know has fallen asleep, kind of like the student in humanities class, but not fallen asleep in the classroom, but maybe you or someone you know has fallen asleep in your relationship with Jesus. Maybe you've grown complacent or apathetic in your relationship with God. Maybe you've minimalized or minimized your your relationship with God to just a couple church visits every so often a couple readings of the scripture every couple months. Maybe you've just minimized it to this religious activity and you've gotten comfortable with that. Maybe you've replaced the pursuit of experiencing the presence of God with pursuing comfort, pursuing maybe financial security, pursuing um, religious activity in place of the personal experience of the presence of God in your life. As we come to the book of Joel, I want us to see that the book of Joel is kind of like Dr. Matson. (laughs) The book of Joel is really, its intent is to awaken us from our complacency and half-hearted allegiance to Jesus. But not only is the book of Joel intended to awaken us from our complacency, it's, it's also intended to awaken us to an urgency. Awaken us to an urgency to tell people that there is judgment coming for sin if they continue to refuse and ignore Jesus. And so as you come to the book of Joel, you should come away feeling this, this, this urgency to tell people that judgment is coming if they continue to refuse to surrender their whole lives to his name. But for those of us, maybe you find yourself complacent and half-hearted. The book of Joel should awaken you from that complacency. 
So if you or someone you know has fallen asleep, you've grown complacent, half-hearted in your relationship with Christ, the book of Joel is a wake-up call. Or if there's someone you know who keeps ignoring and refusing Christ, the book of Joel is their wake-up call, and it's your wake-up call to urgently share Christ with them. And this morning, as we jump into this book, I just want to give an introduction to the book of Joel and help reveal to you some, some lessons to look for as you study the book of Joel. What should you see as you study the book of Joel? And the challenge for us this week is, here's the challenge. I want each of us to read through the book of Joel two times this week. It's only three chapters long. It shouldn't take you more than 15 minutes per time to read it. So I want to encourage you to read through the book of Joel a couple times this week. And in a moment, I'm going to share with you some things to look for as you read through this book of Joel. So first, an introduction to this book of Joel. If you join me in the book, chapter 1, verse 1. Who's the author? Who's, who's this book written from? Well, it tells us, chapter 1, verse 1, the word of the Lord. Pretty cut and dry. This is a message from God. All right, it's a message from God. That's what this book is. It says, the word of the Lord that came to Joel. So this is a message from God given to this person, Joel. Now, we don't know a ton about this guy, Joel. But here's what we do know. We know that he is the son of Pethuel. I think that's how you pronounce it. All right, so, so he's got this dad with a really cool name. And then he's lived in the land of Israel, the land of Judah, the southern part of Israel. He probably lives in the capital city called Jerusalem. And as you read through the book of Joel, you're going to see this word called Zion. That, when you read that in the book of Joel, that's referring to the city of Jerusalem. So it's possible that Joel lives in the capital city of Judah, the the city of Jerusalem. We know that his name, the name Joel means Yahweh or the Lord is God. And that's fitting as you read through the book of Joel, because that's one of the primary messages coming from this book, that there's only one God and his name is the Lord, Yahweh. But we also know that Joel is the one that God chose to deliver the message. It's kind of like he's the courier, he's the UPS guy, he's the FedEx guy. God, God has sent a package from heaven all right, to a particular people, and he's chosen Joel to be the delivery person, to be, to be the messenger. Well, who is this message for? Verse 2, he says, Hear this, you elders. Give ear all inhabitants of the land. Specifically, this is a message from God given to the person of Joel for God's people. For God's people. In verse 14 of chapter 1, it says, Consecrate a fast, call a solemn assembly, gather the elders and all the inhabitants of the land to the house of the Lord your God and cry out to the Lord. So the house of the Lord your God is referring to the temple in the city of Jerusalem. In chapter 2, verse 19, it says this, The Lord answered and said to his people. So this is a message from God given to the person of Joel for God's people. So as God's people in the 21st century, there's some lessons for us that we can apply, principles and truths that we can apply to our lives because we are the people of God today. And so as you read the book of Joel, there's some things that you should be looking for as you read it. Now, what are the circumstances going on happening during this time of Joel? Well, what's happening is a national catastrophe has happened. A ginormous, a huge locust plague has affected the entire region of Judah at this time. Now, I don't know if you're like me, but when I read about a locust plague and I read it in the Bible, immediately my guard goes up. Is that, okay, what's going on here, right? And we're like, is that real? Is that really a locust plague? 
We have to be careful sometimes because a lot of times we tend to interpret Scripture through our American Western culture lens. And we forget that this is happening in a completely different part of the world. Locust invasions in this part of the world were very common. Very common. And so what you have is this plague of locusts, if you will, that overtakes the region of Judah where God's people live. And as an agricultural society, it's devastated everything. And you read that as you read through the book of Joel. So you have this national calamity that's taken place in God's, in God's land over God's people. And you read about that in verse 4 of chapter 1. It says, What the cutting locust left, the swarming locust has eaten. What the swarming locust left, the hopping locust has eaten. And what the hopping locust left, the destroying locust has eaten. He's saying it's wiped out everything. This is a huge tragedy that's taken place throughout the land. And what I want us to see is that the book of Joel is really a message from God for His people in a time of national catastrophe. And as you think about what's been happening within our land, the devastation caused by hurricanes and fires out in California and mass shootings, I think it's fitting that we're studying the book of Joel at this point in time because this is a message from God for His people in a time of national tragedy. And so as we come to the book of Joel, what are some things that you should be looking for as you read the book of Joel? The first thing, one of the first things you should see is you should see the gospel. You should see Jesus in the book of Joel. Where do you see Jesus in the book of Joel? How do we know you should see Jesus in this book? Well, we know you should see the gospel, see Jesus in the book of Joel, because both the Apostle Peter and the Apostle Paul quote, from the book of Joel and their sermons to tell people about Jesus hundreds of years after the book of Joel was written. If you keep your finger in Joel or however that works on your phone, go to the book of Acts chapter 2. Acts chapter 2. What you have here is what's called the day of Pentecost. And the apostle Peter, Jesus has died, he's come back to life, he's ascended to heaven. And here you have Peter, the apostle Peter, standing before thousands of people in the city of Jerusalem, the city of Zion, potentially Joel's hometown. And here Peter, hundreds of years after the message from God was given to Joel, he stands up in the the middle of that city, thousands of people are there, and he's going to tell them and give a sermon. And his entire sermon is about Jesus. And as you go to Acts chapter 2, verse 14... It says this, But Peter, standing with the eleven, lifted up his voice and addressed them, Men of Judea and all who dwell in Jerusalem, let this be known to you and give ear to my words. For these people are not drunk, as you suppose, since it is only the third hour of the day. But this is what was uttered through whom? Through the prophet Joel. And then Peter goes on and gives an entire sermon, and it's all about Jesus Christ. And so Peter's telling us that, When you come and you read the book of Joel, you should look for Jesus because he's there. You should look for the good news of the gospel because he's there in the book of Joel. And in fact, Joel chapter 2 and what Peter's quoting is Joel chapter 2 verses 28 through 32. And when you read that this week as you come into this book, you're going to see that that is really a foreshadowing or a promise of God pouring out his spirit onto the presence of his people. So in Joel, we have a promise of the church and a promise of this Holy Spirit coming and indwelling his people, all in the book of Joel. So you see the church, you see the promise of the Holy Spirit in the book of Joel. It's the gospel. You should see the gospel there. And then also the Apostle Paul, Romans 10, 13. For some of us, that may be a familiar verse. 
It is whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord will be saved. That's a quotation from the book of Joel. So the Apostle Paul, when he's writing this letter to Romans, first century people living in Rome, as he's giving the gospel to them, he quotes from the prophet Joel, whosoever will call upon the name of the Lord will be saved. All that to tell you that as you read the book of Joel, you should look for the gospel. You should look for Christ because he's there. You should see God's pursuit to rescue you from the disaster of your sin as you read the book of Joel, because that's the gospel. The story of Joel is really a story within a story. It's the pursuit of God to win back the heart of his chosen people who are destined to disaster because of their sin. That's the gospel. That's the need for the gospel. That's the book of Joel. And I was trying to think of a way to illustrate this. This is a really poor illustration, but have you ever seen the Russian nesting dolls? You know what I'm talking about? Right? You're with me on that where it's like this size and then you open up the head or whatever and then there's another one exactly like it, like a replica. You just keep going and they get smaller and smaller and smaller. Well, imagine that the first Russian nest, the, the one, the original, right? Imagine that's the Bible, Genesis to Revelation. When you open it up and keep going, there's a little one inside and that's the story of Joel and it's telling the exact same story that the whole Bible is telling. It's just telling the gospel, telling the good news of Jesus. It's saying, listen, God is after his people to win their hearts back and to tell them that they need him because of the devastation and disaster of their own sin that separates them from him. It's the book of Joel. And so you should see the gospel there. You should see Jesus as you read through the book of Joel. Something else that you should see is you should see the danger of half-hearted, complacent Christianity. You should see the danger of half-hearted, complacent Christianity. In verse 5 of chapter 1, God says this. He says, Awake! Wake up, you drunkards, and weep and wail, all you drinkers of wine, because of the sweet wine, for it is cut off from your mouth. What's he saying? He's like, there's a national tragedy happening, and you guys are so indulging yourselves in so many pleasures, you're missing what's going on. You're missing the message of what I'm trying to communicate to you. You're so involved in your comfort and your security and indulging yourself in this pleasure and that pleasure, and he's talking to God's people, that you're missing what's happening all around you. And the whole problem with God's people going on at this time was they were outwardly religious, but their hearts were far from God. Their hearts were far from God. If you look at chapter 2, verse 12, he says this, Yet even now declares the Lord, return to me with all your heart. We just sang a song about it. Return to me with all your heart, with fasting, with weeping, with mourning, and rend your hearts, verse 13 of chapter 2, and rend your hearts, not your garments. Return to the Lord your God, he says. The whole problem with God's people at this point in time is they had all the outward show going on. They had all the religious activity, but God had not, they had not given God all of their hearts. They'd maybe given God the religious part of their heart, but they hadn't given God their heart as it relates to relationships, to parenting, to marriage, to finances, to all of that. They're still holding on to a lot of their own thing. They're kind of like, they wanted an opt-in and opt-out kind of Christianity. That's what was going on. And God says, no, 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 no. I want your heart. I want all of it. Comfort had become their idol. They'd replaced Christ with casual, comfortable, complacent religious activity. And I wonder, is this us? Is it us? Charles Swindoll, who's a pastor and a a radio Bible teacher who presented a, a great radio program called Insight for Living, this is what he has to say about the book of Joel. He says, The vivid pictures of destruction that we see in the book of Joel should serve to awaken us 
from our spiritual stupor. Do you ever struggle with feeling complacent? A strong dose of Joel might just do the trick of opening your eyes to the necessity of faithfully following after God every moment of your life. You see, God isn't interested in the show. He's interested in your heart. All of it. All of it. Rend your hearts, not your garments. And as you read the book of Joel, you should see the danger of just thinking that you can give God just a little bit of your life. But not all of it. He's not interested in that. He wants all of it. Because he knows that the best thing for you is being all in with him. That's why. And so when you read, Joel, examine your own heart. Look for areas in your life where you're half-hearted and complacent in your relationship with Jesus. Third, third thing you should see is see the seriousness of your sin and God's judgment of it. See the seriousness of your sin and God's judgment of it. If you look at chapter 1, verse 15, it says, Alas for the day, for the day of the Lord is near, and as destruction from the Almighty it comes. Go to chapter 2, verse 1. Blow a trumpet in Zion, sound an alarm on my holy mountain. Let all the inhabitants of the land tremble, for the day of the Lord is coming. It is near, verse 2, a day of darkness and gloom, a day of clouds and thick darkness like blackness there is spread upon the mountains, a great and powerful people. Their like has never been before, nor will be again after them through the years of all generations. As you read through the book of Joel, you're going to see this phrase called the day of the Lord. And you read it throughout Scripture. But you're going to see it at least five times in this book of Joel. And when you see that phrase, it indicates a time of judgment from God for sin. And in chapter 1, you see this great calamity that's happened across God's people. And in chapter 2, you're going to see another calamity that overtakes God's people. And when you see the day of the Lord, it should remind you that God takes sin seriously. There are divine consequences for our sin and rebellion against God. The day of the Lord, it's not a holiday to celebrate. It's a time to see that God takes your sin seriously. When a child disobeys his parent, it is not a time for that parent to laugh it off. God says, children, obey your parents and the Lord for this is right. When your child disobeys you, parents... It's not a time to just laugh it off. That's sin. That's sin. It should reveal to you their real heart. (laughs) They need Jesus. And when I, as a dad, when I fail to lead my family in worship, because God says, fathers, you need to not exasperate your children, but train them up in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. This is from the book of Ephesians. And when I don't do that, I'm sinning. Those little passing lustful thoughts that go through your mind, that's sin. God takes those sins seriously. The the coveting, the comparing yourself to someone else, rather than embracing the acceptance and love of the Father that He has over you, that's sin. And as you read through the book of Joel, you're going to see the seriousness of sin and God's judgment of it. A couple weeks ago at the school where our kids attend and where Andrea teaches and I've got a, a church office there, they did this, they had an assembly and they brought in the middle school and high school students. And it was training 
the students on what to do in the event that there's a school intruder. And so all the kids are all, middle school and high school are in the cafeteria and they showed a couple videos. And it's a, a couple videos were kind of acting out a, a kind of a scenario of what to do in the event that this happens. And so on the screen, you're seeing the, the intruder come into a school and you're seeing the students that comes over the intercom. You need to lock down. You need to barricade your door and all this stuff. This is, this is real stuff. And so as I'm watching this, it's quiet in the cafeteria, complete quiet. You're standing, I'm standing there going, this is serious because this could happen. And you need to be prepared in the event that this does happen. Well, the book of Joel reveals to us that, listen, God must judge sin because he's a holy judge, a just judge, and a good judge will give consequences for those who break the law. And so God, because he's holy, must judge us for our sin. And as you read the book of Joel, you should walk away and see your sin, no matter how big or how little, and you should see it as serious. The fourth thing you should see as you read through the book of Joel is this, see the need for repentance See, the need for repentance and turning to God. As you read through the book of Joel, you're going to see phrases like in verse 8 of chapter 1, lament, wearing sackcloth in verse 8. Verse 11, he says, Be ashamed, O tillers of the soil. Wail, O vine dressers. In in verse 13 of chapter 1, he says, Put on sackcloth and lament, O priests. Wail, O ministers of the altar. Consecrate a fast, Call a solemn assembly, gather the elders and all the inhabitants of the land and go to the house of the Lord your God and cry out to the Lord. In chapter 2, verse 13, he says, Rend your hearts and not your garments. Return to the Lord your God. You're going to see throughout the book of Joel that yes, God takes sin seriously, but he also provides you through his mercy the opportunity to repent of your sin, tell him you're sorry for your sin, and so that you can turn back into that relationship with God that he's provided. And you're going to see that as you read through the book of Joel. Sackcloth was this this way to physically, tangibly express the mourning and and how you saw saw your sin is serious against God. And as you read through the, I mean, it's easy to kind of struggle through the book of Joel and say, wow, locust plaguey, God, that's from God? Yes. Chapter 1, verse 15, destruction from the Almighty, it comes. Chapter 2, God brings in this foreign invasion upon his People, what? That's from God? It is. Not every national catastrophe or tragedy is because of God punishing or bringing judgment. Okay, we need to understand that. But the whole purpose, sometimes, sometimes God has to put you at the bottom of the well because it's the only time you'll ever look up for him. Sometimes God has to let you experience the consequences of your sin in order to get your attention, in order to get to see you to the end of yourself to where you cry out and reach out and look up for him. And we need to understand that. And the whole purpose of that is to, for you to repent of your sin, for me to repent of my sin and turn back to God. Several years ago, I had ankle surgery, and they had to put a pin in my ankle in order for it to stabilize and for me to use it properly. And so as I went into the surgery, they obviously cut open my, my ankle, and they put that pin in, and I'm fine. I'm good to go. Sometimes we have to experience pain in our lives from our sin. God allows us to experience that in order for us to receive the true healing that we need, which is a relationship with Him forever. 
And the whole purpose of this, as you read through the book of Joel, is that God would, God's people would wake up and see their sin is serious, repent from it, and turn back to Him. So when you read the book of Joel, yes, see your sin is serious, but then repent of it. Turn back to Him, and He welcomes that. The fifth thing to see as we read through the book of Joel is see the heart of God. See the cross. Chapter 2, verse 12, again, he says, Yet even now, in the midst of this great catastrophe and tragedy, as you're experiencing the consequences and the disaster that your sin has caused, he says, Return to me with all your heart, with fasting, with weeping, and with mourning, and rend your hearts and not your garments. Return to the Lord your God. Why? Because He's gracious. He's merciful. He's slow to anger. He's abounding in steadfast love, and He has pity over you because of the disaster that your sin has caused. See the heart of God. Listen, the heart of God is to be gracious toward you, to be merciful toward you, to be slow in anger, to be abounding in love. His heart is for you, for you, to be with you and you with him. In chapter 2, verse 26 and 27, God says this, You will eat in plenty and be satisfied and praise the name of the Lord your God who has dealt wondrously with you. And my people shall never again be put to shame. You shall know that I am in the midst of Israel and that I am the Lord your God and there is none else. Listen, God's whole point is for us to understand that our greatest need is him. That's our greatest need. And he will do whatever it takes to help you see that. And as you read the book of Joel, you see the heart of God. Listen, when, when a, a, a mom gives birth to a newborn child, what's the first thing they do with that child? They place it, right? They take the child and they place it up to the mom. And the mom holds the child close, dear to her skin. It's, that's just natural. They were meant to be together. There's a bond there. And in the same way, God's heart is to be with you, to hold you close because he loves you. And so if you run away, if you rebel against him, he will pursue you and do everything he can to get you back. Even if it means you going to the bottom of the well to get you to look up so he can embrace you and say, yes, this is where you're meant to be, close to me and me with you. I'm in the midst of Israel. See that? That's God's heart. That's God's heart. And see the heart of God. See He's gracious. See He's merciful. And see the cross. 1 John chapter 4, verse 10. We see the cross in the book of Joel. Remember I talked to you about the day of the Lord and how it represents God's judgment upon our sin. And He poured it out on His own Son in 1 John 4.10. He says, and this is love, not that we have loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be a big word here, propitiation for our sins. What in the world does that mean, propitiation? Basically, it means that Christ, Jesus, on the cross, satisfied the judgment of God that you and I deserve for our sins. It's as if God poured out the day of the Lord that you and I deserve for our sin, and he poured it out on his own son on the cross so that those who by faith surrender their whole heart to Jesus, they no longer are under the day of the Lord. There's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus, but instead God through his grace and mercy says, no, I don't put my judgment on you anymore because by faith you've surrendered your heart to Jesus. Now come to me and I will embrace you and I'll pour my spirit into you. My personal life presence will be in you when you repent and receive me. 
You've got to see the cross. Because if we see the day of the Lord in Joel, we know that God put the day of the Lord of His wrath on His own Son so that you and I don't need to experience that. That's grace. That's love. That's mercy. That's God's heart. And so when you read the book of Joel this week, see the heart of God toward you. See His heart. And so what should you look for this week as you read? I want you to look for the gospel. I want you to look for Jesus because He's there. I want you to see the danger of half-hearted, complacent Christianity. I want us to see the seriousness of our sin and God's judgment of it. I want us to see that in the midst of the day of the Lord, God cries out to us, cry out to me, repent, and I will embrace you. And then see the heart of God and see the cross. As we think about the book of Joel, as we think about these truths and these lessons to look for, ask yourself this question, where have you fallen asleep in your relationship with God? Where have you fallen asleep? Where's... Yeah, God got, I'll give him this part of my life, but I don't know if I'm going to give him this part. He doesn't have all your heart then. He can touch this, but he better not touch that. Rend your hearts, not your garments. Why? Because he loves you. He wants all of you. Where are you half-hearted in your love for Christ? See, the book of Joel, is, it's our professor Matson, if you will. It's God's loving wake-up call. And listen, this is what God says to you and to me through the book of Joel. He says, don't fall asleep on me. There's too much at stake for you if you do. I have too much for you. I'm for you. I want to be with you. I want to be known by you because that's what's best for you. So wake up from your complacency. Awake to an urgency. And God says, return to me. Why? Because I love you. That's the book of Joel. God on pursuit, winning back the heart of his own people to rescue them from the disaster that their sin has caused. That's the gospel, and that's what we see in the book of Joel. I'm going to ask the band to come, and as they come and as we, as we sing this final song together, I want us to, th- to think through our own lives this morning. Where have you fallen asleep? Where are you complacent? Allow the goodness and gracious heart of God to speak to you this morning. It says, yet even now. I want us to close your eyes. Everyone close your eyes. I want you to hear this from God this morning. He's saying this to you this morning. He's saying this to us this morning. Has his people, yet even now, declares the Lord. Return to me with all your heart, with fasting, with weeping, and with mourning. And rend your hearts and not your garments. Return to the Lord your God. Why? Because He is gracious and merciful, slow to anger, and abounding in steadfast love. That is God's heart for us, church. That's God's heart for you and for me. And maybe after we sing the song, maybe you need to stick around and you need to grab someone and say, pray with me. I'm struggling with sin and it's wrecking my life. You go grab someone and you pray with them after we sing this song. Maybe someone here needs to just surrender your heart to Jesus. You've been refusing it. You've been refusing Him. You've been ignoring Him. Maybe you need to just right there where you sit right now say, I am done, oh God. Take me, forgive me of my sin, and I take you, and He promises that He will. For others of us, maybe we need to just rest in the great goodness of God that He's gracious and merciful toward us. As we sing this song, let it be our heart's cry. 
And I want to invite you after we sing, if you need to stick around and you need to do business with one another, with God, then please, by all means, do that. But let us stand together and let's sing this song to our God who is gracious and merciful, slow to anger and abounding in love.